Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast on Radio MD, iHeart, or wherever you downloaded from. Thank you very much for doing so. This is 1143B. The Bs are always great guests. And we have one today, Chadi Nabahan, N-A-B-H-A-N, is a physician and author of Toxic Exposure, the true story behind the Monsanto trials and the search for justice. This book is published by Johns Hopkins University Press. The website is Chadi Nabahan, that's C-H-A-D-I-N-A-B-H-A-N.com. And if you go to my books, on there, you'll find out a lot more. But this is an outstanding book and an outstanding person who has what I would call done yeoman's job for America and for the world in trying to make sure that glyphosate was used either appropriately or not at all. And Chatty, before we go into that, I should not forget our sponsors, Life's First Naturals, lifesfirstnaturals.com, the makers of both True Biotics and Bovine Colostrum. Go to the website, lifesfirstnaturals.com, and see the randomized controlled trial and their data showing when they're most effective, such as if you exercise or in preventing routine upper respiratory infections in winter. Chadi, how did you get involved in this field? You're a physician, and what drove you, if you will, to learn about glyphosate and toxic exposures? Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me. It's really a pleasure to be with you and with your listeners and and to be part of this program and the show, so I really appreciate it. I would say serendipity and chance in the beginning, because being an expert witness in litigation trials was not something I ever actually thought I would be or I would do. But as an oncologist, as a medical oncologist and a hematologist, I took care of many patients with non-Hodgkin lymphoma. For your listeners, non-Hodgkin lymphoma is a form of cancer that involves the lymph glands and the bone marrow system and the immune system. And I've always knew that pesticides in general are a risk factor for developing non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And farmers, as professionals, they have higher risk of developing this disease than other professionals. I was not familiar, frankly, with the data on Roundup. I was not really familiar with all of the information about it, but I received a phone call from a law firm in Virginia, the Miller firm that was in the spring of 2016, And they've heard about me somehow that I'm an expert in lymphoma and lymphoid malignancies, and they've asked whether I would be willing to look at the evidence, look at the literature, and whether I would be willing to help patients that they represented who were suing Monsanto because they developed non-Hodgkin lymphoma after heavy exposure to Roundup. And I said, I'll need to look at the evidence. I wasn't familiar really with a lot of the data on Roundup, but I was familiar enough with pesticides, so I was really very intrigued. Because as I started researching, I realized how prevalent is the use of Roundup. And the Roundup, the main ingredient, the chemical ingredient, Michael, is what you refer to as glyphosate. So that's how it started. As I learned more, 
I came to understand that the impact, indeed there was a link between glyphosate, Roundup, and non-Hodgkin lymphoma, the impact would be big because of how prevalent it is, how often it's used. And if we can find a possible cause for one patient, for some patients, I think we would have served our patients right. So that's how it started. Being an expert witness was never something I really wanted to do or I, or I did before, but I'm glad I did, as I'm sure you will go into the story. Now, in the book, I suppose, let's go back and, and do a little bit of the basic science of this. Are all pesticides bad? Is eating food produced with glyphosate bad? Is it just the use of it around the home? Why do farmers have the problem? Is it water, their well water, or is it a dust exposure? How does this work? Let's go to the basic mechanism if we know more about it. Those are all very good questions. We probably have answers to some, and we may not have answers to others. But I'll start by saying that Glyphosate was patented by Monsanto in the early 70s. And the first commercial use for it was in 1974 as a weed killer because the scientists of Monsanto found that it was a good chelator, so it was just able to kill minerals and weeds. Originally, it was discovered actually in the early 50s by Swiss chemists and subsequently was taken by Monsanto and, and was patented. I came to learn that in 1974, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, was a very young agency. It didn't have the resources that it has today. It was very young and was, uh, you know, it was, again, established by President Nixon at the time. So as a pesticide, you had to register these pesticides, including Roundup, and demonstrate some studies of safety. But the Monsanto, along with other companies, used a company, a toxicology company for these toxicology studies called IBT. IBT was found to be a fraudulent company. Basically, they fudged data. They made up data. And eventually, the founders of that company were indicted and prosecuted. And you can, again, I have a lot of that in the book for your readers. But the reason I mentioned that is because you asked very important questions and the answers to these questions depend on the level of studies that were done to demonstrate safety. Ultimately, you have to tell patients that I think if you do this, or people, if you do this, it's good because it's safe. But to say safe, you must have a level of evidence that you feel comfortable with. And I would say we don't know a lot about the levels of safety because the original studies that were done on toxicology for Roundup were obviously not good. And this was presented in court and everything. They were fraudulent, but it, this was the company, it was outsourced. So Monsanto as a company outsourced the toxicology studies to this IBT lab. Well, they still are responsible for those results if they're submitting them to the EPA for, aren't they still responsible? Right. So the EPA then demanded, started demanding repeating some of these studies. That's where the story is, becomes interesting. After all of this, there were additional studies that were required. And the original classification of the EPA to glyphosate was it's actually a possibly has some carcinogenic potential. 
There's even some letters from the EPO officials that are present in the book that shows you they're actually mentioning in their letters that they think it has a carcinogenic potential. Somehow, several years later, that was dropped. The EPA stopped demanding any additional studies. Were you able to find out why that was dropped? I didn't see that in the book, but I read only half of the book. I apologize. No, no, no. There was a lot of smoke. There was a lot of smoke, and some of this was actually presented to the jury, and some of this was sealed, was not really allowed to be presented. There was a deposition of an EPA official who had resigned at the time. His name is Jess Rowland, and the EPA official... Basically, his deposition was sealed, was not shown to the jury, but it's not really clear whether somehow there was some, how do I say it, maybe some pressure? Well, I don't know. I've learned that I never should say something unless I'm 100% sure. And especially in the court of law, unless you're 100% certain, you should never really opine on something like this. But I'll say this, there's enough smoke out there that will definitely make me suspicious Why would the EPA change positions without any reason to change positions? Why did the EPA stop demanding studies after they demanded studies? So there was something there that definitely made me more curious. Let me go and just divert. I've always had a suspicion of what happened with Dr. Oz. You may remember he was brought in front of Claire McCaskill's committee in the Senate He went there not relating to what he was hammered about, but to say there's a lot of fraud and avatars on the internet and that he and Oprah, in fact, had to hire one and a half attorneys just to get all the fake statements that they hadn't made off of the web. And they would get them off one day, and three days later, they'd appear as a different company selling the same product. But it turned out Claire McCaskill, who was from Missouri and was largely supported, had a huge set of campaign donations from Monsanto, hammered him because he had asked that GMO products and products with glyphosate used as a pesticide be labeled. And just because he had done that on the TV show, he got hammered on that. Now, again, there's smoke. There's no definite that that was there, but it was very interesting. It was about the same time as the trials uh, were going on that started in 2016, I guess. When did the trials start? The first trial was in 2018, in the summer of 2018, was Johnson against Monsanto. But the initial litigations were starting to occur after 2015. So in 2015, the IARC, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, which is a subdivision of the WHO, issued a report after reviewing the human studies, animal studies, and cellular studies, toxicology studies. And they said glyphosate is a probable human carcinogen. So for Monsanto, instead of acknowledging this and saying, okay, well, maybe it is, but you know, you should use it with caution, we're going to put a label on it, all of these things, they actually did an entire campaign to mitigate all of this information, to discredit all of the data and saying, no, 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 this is completely safe. It is not accurate. It reminds me, Michael, of tobacco industry. And I make that analogy in the book so many times because it is exactly that. 
50 years ago, if you'd have told the tobacco manufacturer that cigarettes could cause cancer, they would have laughed at you and they would have dismissed every single statement you would say. Today, no one does. But the idea that science doesn't evolve and we shouldn't know more today than we knew before is completely immature. So Monsanto did not acknowledge that report and obviously litigation started. The first trial was Johnson against Monsanto and it commenced in July 20. This is the one in San Francisco? Yeah, there were two in San Francisco and one in Oakland. These are the first three trials I testified in, but the first one was in the summer of 2018. And now, how did they harass you? Well, I mean, maybe I wouldn't use the word harassment. I would say it's almost any time that you are a witness testifying against a large company like Monsanto that have the best lawyers and all of that, they are going to do everything possible to discredit you. Their whole playbook is pretty straightforward. I know it to a T by now. It's how do we discredit that witness? How do we make sure that that witness appears not credible in front of the jury who is going to make that the final call? So they have different ways of trying to discredit you, whether it is to show that you're in it for the money. The reason you're doing this is because you want to make a lot of money. And I think for why would that be the case? I've never done expert witness testimony before. You're contradicting yourself. You said this one time here, but you didn't say it elsewhere. There's a lot of host of things that they try to do. It just honestly takes a lot of mental and physical strength to be able to always go against these lawyers. But I would say it wasn't just me. I think it's important to acknowledge that this is a team of other expert witnesses who are very good. All of them are likely smarter than me, and they were also testified on behalf of the patients. And a team of lawyers who really went and investigated and brought the evidence and really put everything on the line until they were able to get the verdicts for their patients. One of the things that is most interesting to me is what has happened. Now, Monsanto sold itself, if you will, to Bayer. I was really surprised that a company would buy them with the lawsuits overhanging them. But Bayer bought them and has settled a lot of the lawsuits, as you tell in the book, for I think $11 billion is the figure you used. There are probably some lawsuits outstanding still. But the Johnson lawsuit, this was an accelerated lawsuit, as you described, because he had lymphoma. And it was, as I remember, was it $2.3 billion? No, no. Johnson, the verdict of Johnson was about 280 nine million dollars that there was the verdict and eventually it went down there was appeals and everything like that and i believe that the trial has concluded and he for about 20 to 25 million dollars all of the patients did have non-hodgkin lymphoma i think for johnson's case which is pretty interesting he had a very aggressive disease and i would say that a lot of us are surprised that he is doing well today which is great for him and we're very happy with that but he had an aggressive disease that i really thought his prognosis would be much worse than what it had projected to be which should make every physician and oncologist humble because sometimes we don't know how long a patient has to live that was the johnson trial it was in state court was expedited because the thought that he was having a disease that was progressing so fast that we want to make sure he gets his day in court. Let me ask you, what do you do 
other than not use it at home to avoid glyphosate? And do you think it has some risk in the very low levels that we might get in food? Not saying we're using well water on a farm. I think there's much higher risk in that, obviously. As you pointed out, with farmers have a increased risk of a number of diseases that are pesticide-related, including non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. But how dangerous is it? In other words, when in California, I think they've banned it for home use. Should it be banned? And I think, forgive me, I may be mixing up the cases, but Johnson, as I think you said, was a landscaper at a school. And so he had repeated exposure to it. How dangerous is it? The more research I did as I wrote the book and I learned about glyphosate and Roundup, the more concerned I am. Picture this. In the mid-90s, GMOs were introduced. These are genetically modified organisms. So basically, they were Roundup ready. They were resistant to Roundup. So as a farmer, you could spray Roundup all you want, and you could still harvest because you're not going to damage the seeds because they were Roundup ready and they were genetically modified to resist Roundup. So that was perfect. And guess what? Monsanto manufactured both. They sold both. So they sold the glyphosate and Roundup, and they sold the Roundup ready seeds. Now, the seeds, the main, again, you've got GMO corn, you've got cotton, soy, alfalfa. So you can imagine corn and wheat and everything is in a lot of things that we actually eat. Now, that should make us pause and think about what is the impact of this. So far, almost 19 billion pounds of glyphosate of Roundup has been sprayed globally in the U.S., 3.5 billion in the U.S. of Roundup. So a lot is being sprayed and it's sprayed on seeds and the seeds are going to make the food that we eat. That makes me concerned, obviously. I don't have any data today to tell you that whatever we eat is definitely going to cause problems, but I certainly would love not to have Roundup being used because I'm very concerned about it and I think we should look at alternatives. I think it's very important. Going back to what you said in terms of the level of exposure and the amount of exposure, the more you use of something, the higher the risk will become of you developing a particular hazard from that something that you are using. If you're going to use Roundup, you must use protection, in my opinion, such as gloves, such as long pants. Again, you don't want to have it come to your skin because it could be absorbed in the skin and could cause a lot of issues. Like you mentioned, Mr. Johnson, who's a groundskeeper in California, he was spraying five days a week. He had some spilling incidents and he was using protection, but it came all over his skin many times. So you have to use protection and you should minimize the use. I would say one of the wins that we were able to get is that Bayer was the parent company of Monsanto, which I tell you, I'm, I'm more sure than not that they regret the decision of buying Monsanto. But Bayer has decided to withdraw the sales of Roundup from the U.S. market for residential use. They will allow it to farmers and pesticide applicators, but if you're a resident using the garden, they're going to replace it by something else, and we don't know what that is yet. We should really know what that is. So I think the short answer to your question, we should minimize the use. I would love to eliminate it if possible. And if we are going to use it, there should be a warning label where the company that does it, that makes it, acknowledges that there is a risk, like any tobacco company, 
You can smoke if you want today, but you're an adult, you make an informed consent, and you make that decision. But don't deprive people from making a choice by minimizing the scientific information. That you should not do. It's a no-no in my opinion. I've had patients that refuse chemotherapy, but they knew by refusing what they will get and if they get what, what the outcomes are. You cannot make a decision without all of the information being available to you. It's very important. Now, and it may be in the book, and forgive me since I didn't get to all of the book, does it last, in other words, you said 3.5 billion pounds have been used in the U.S. Does it persist or is it broken down in the environment? No, I mean, some of the, the thing is what, what happens is, remember, when you have some cellular damage, I mean, obviously, eventually you get rid of it. I mean, if you measure glyphosate in the blood, eventually your body, your kidney, and uh, you will get rid of it through the kidney and the stool and everything. But the cellular damage, the damage to the cell could actually persist. Think of it just to, I, I like to usually compare things because I feel people who listen, they can draw contrast. If somebody is getting chemotherapy, eventually the chemotherapy leaves the body and is not in the body anymore. But some of the damage from the chemotherapy could still linger around and could cause long-term side effects. So it's not like it's going to stay in your body forever, but the damage that your body might actually attain could actually cause long-term problems and could last for a long time. And some of this damage is not reversible. Yeah, what I'm really asking is in the environment, does it last or does it break down into something else? Eventually it breaks down in the environment. Chatty, I'm going to say thank you. This has been a wonderful discussion. I've learned a lot. Chatty Nabam, N-A-B-H-A-N. The website is Chatty, N-A-B-H-A-N, no punctuation, dot com. And go to my books there and you'll learn more. This is a wonderful book, Toxic Exposure. The True Story Behind the Monsanto Trials and the Search for Justice. It's published by Johns Hopkins University Press. It's a wonderful story. And anyone concerned about the toxins in our environment and the way that people who work at big companies somehow get to behave that is to almost try and protect the big company they work for rather than finding the truth for society in the unusualness of finding the truth for society does come out in the book as well. The book Chadi Naban, C-H-A-D-I-N-A-B-H-A-N, The True Story Behind the Monsanto Trials. Thank you very much. We, of course, are brought to you by both Life's First Naturals, the makers of TrueBiotics, and Bovine Colostrum. Go to their website, lifesfirstnaturals.com, and find out more, as well as our own website, thegreatagereboot.com and longevityplaybook.com. You'll find more information there about how to live longer and younger, younger for longer, one of which is avoiding unforced errors, such as the unforced error of using glyphosate in an unprotected way. Thanks very much, Chadi. 
but especially thank you for downloading us. Talk to you next week. We have another great show coming up. Thanks again.